You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast produced by Veteran Strategies and featuring conversations with fascinating and impactful men and women who have shaped our world, our communities, and our history. My name is Robert Vane, Principal of Veteran Strategies, and your host for our discussion. You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, a local veteran public relations enterprise, and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Garmond Construction, the Crown Plaza Hotel, Grand Hall, and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the law firm of Bose, McKinney, and Evans, and the Bose Public Affairs Group, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. You can find all your sales and rental equipment needs at McAllister.com. We are pleased to announce our podcast is now a member of the All Indiana Podcast Network in partnership with Wish TV. You can find Leaders and Legends at allindianapodcastnetwork.com. Thank you for joining us on the Leaders and Legends podcast. Our guest today is entrepreneur and philanthropist and inspiring leader, that's for sure, Angela Brawley. We are joined, excuse me, by our co-host, Danielle Shockey, CEO, Girl Scouts of Central Indiana. If you're looking for girl power, today is the day. So like a good man whose mother was in the Marine Corps, as she was, I'm going to turn this over to Danielle and listen for a little bit as she talks to Angela about her career, where she came from, and what she's up to now. Danielle, thank you very much. No, Robert, thank you. Thanks for letting, letting us have a girl power hour, um, if you will. We'll let you have a few words every once in a while. So, um, Angela, I don't want to assume our listeners um, are all familiar with, you know, who you are, frankly. You know, where did you grow up? A little bit about your um, entrepreneurship, business, philanthropy background and, and your, your current moment in time. So if you don't mind, just tell our listeners just a little bit about who you are so we can get started. Thanks. Thanks, Danielle. And Robert, thank you for the, the women's hour, the girl power, women power hour. <laughs> I am so excited that you all invited me to be here today. Before I talk about, you know, what I did in my career, I have to say my career started as a brownie and then became a Girl Scout because I'm sure that some of the skills that I learned in life started in Girl Scouts. I think I learned salesmanship through cookie sales. I learned about planning and preparation and execution with earning badges. It gave me a sense of achievement and just the importance of a group, either a group of friends or a group of coworkers or colleagues in the community. That started as a troop with the Girl Scouts. So I am so grateful that I had the opportunity and I'm so grateful that girls still have the opportunity to participate in Girl Scouts because there's something magical and skill building that uh, it gave me. So with that, um, I grew up in Richardson, Texas. I made my way as a practicing lawyer and then went in-house to Blue Cross. I was actually in St. Louis, went to Blue Cross Blue Shield of Missouri and was the general counsel and then the president of Blue Cross of Missouri, ultimately the general counsel for a company called WellPoint. 
which is now called Anthem. Many of your listeners will know it as Anthem Blue Cross Blue Shield, where I was the CEO. It was called WellPoint at the time, and it's now called Anthem Blue Cross Blue Shield. That, that um, wonderful opportunity uh, ended in 2012, and since then, I have been serving on four public company boards of directors, which I'm honored to do. And I'm a co-founder of an organization called the Policy Circle that I think we're gonna talk about today. Perfect, thanks for the background. And so, absolutely. And I like to think as, I, as I've learned more and read more and talked to you about the Policy Circle, I kind of feel like it might be the grown-up version of Girl Scouts. If you think about our mission is, you know, girls of courage, confidence, and character who make the world a better place, who stand up and take action and find their voice to make a difference in their community or their, their city, their state, their country. Um, so it, it, there's a lot of kinship, I think, between what I read, what you're, you're trying to achieve with the policy circle. So the policy circle started five years ago. Is that right? 2015? Okay. Yeah. So... Again, it's, it's a concept that may not be um, familiar to our listeners. So explain what is a policy circle. So I agree with you, Danielle. I think there's a lot of similarities between the Girl Scouts and the policy circle because in both cases, it's, it's training or teaching or helping, helping women become leaders and, and be involved in their community. So the policy circle, as you said, started about five years ago. I had two co-founders, one of whom, Sylvie Leger, really has run it over this last five years, and she's an incredible leader. And then Kathy Hubbard is my other co-leader. For those in Indiana, you may know her. And the three of us really were together and involved in public policy issues in general. And we looked around the room and said, where are the women? And they weren't represented at the level we thought they should be. And so we were inspired to find an organization that supported women and really supported women in public policy, not politics, but policy. And we found lots of women's organizations, but they, they didn't really fit what we thought needed to happen, which was to help women get more involved involved and engaged in public policy. So we started the policy circle. We, I'm going to say it 10 times, probably go to thepolicycircle.org, our website, where you can learn all about it. But the idea is that women really do want to be invited into the policy conversation. They want to get some education and get involved and engaged in their community as leaders. And so through a policy circle, which is essentially a group of just a dozen or so women who come together in a woman's home and they discuss public policy. And then at the end of the public policy they, discussion, which is respectfully facilitated, they say, what are we gonna do about this issue? Do we wanna get involved in this issue? Does any one of us want to get involved in this issue? And it encourages women and gives them the support to go out into the community as leaders and get involved. Is there, um, and I definitely, I just, I think the concept is fascinating and I want to talk more about the nuts and bolts of it a little bit, but is there a favorite success story 
that has come out of a policy circle that, you know, when you're trying to motivate people to understand this, that you say, you know, in this one location or this one circle, this happened and this is how, how we know it works. Is there a, a story like that that you like to share? There, there are so many. There are anecdotes, but they're great stories. And you know what's been fun about this whole process? We, even women as women sometimes underestimate women. You know, we at the beginning, we said, okay, we're going to help women learn to use, to find their voice. Well, guess what? Women have found their voices. Sometimes, though, they need to practice their voices in an area that they haven't been involved in before. And so by practicing your voice, you can get more involved and be a leader. One of the things, you know, as we were starting the policy circle, um, which started, you know, with a circle in Indiana and a circle in Illinois. Now we have 347 circles. So, but in the beginning, people would just take action. It was awesome. We had one group from Chicago who the governor was having a town hall. They rented a bus and they all got on the bus and they drove to Springfield, Illinois to go to the town hall of the governor. And we've had events like that. You know, we've had groups who say, okay, what we can do in our community is we can go clean up the park and help the garden in the park. We've had women go and visit uh, centers for women who had addiction. So there's a hundred different success stories. We've also seen women kind of graduate beyond, we think we're the bench of the bench. We're not trying to get women to run for office. But we've had women who got involved, who got involved in the school board. We had a woman who ran for office. So there's lots of different stories and individuals find that they're interested maybe in different topics. So we provide a lot, we provide briefs. So when the circles come together, you can study, uh, you know, the brief and come together and discuss it. But we don't tell the women what, what issue they need to get involved in. They choose the issue that they want to get involved in. So again, for, you know, I, when I think of themes or genres, right, of policy, um, I think I read somewhere one of the early themes that your own policy circle was discussing was economic development and education. And I'm not sure if that's accurate. I think I read that somewhere. But give us some examples of what other types of policy do you find that you know today in 2020 are they different policy conversations different genres that women are talking about from 2015 is there a has there been some staying power within those themes um just give us some examples of what those might be absolutely so we we make it really easy we often think you know describe it sometimes as when you get together it's almost like a book club but instead of a book, you read a brief. And the brief is designed for you to be able to read it in an hour. If you click on all the links, they're multimedia, you could spend a lot more time on it. But the idea, it was, it was the facts. It was you know, fact-based information. And we really kind of created the format. We didn't have to own all of the content, but we wanted to own the format so that we knew that women could reliably come back to fact-based briefs and, and learn something that they thought was relevant. So we kind of categorized uh, the briefs into different categories. One is essentially the U.S. and the world. 
We had one on economics, a lot of conversation around economics, fiscal responsibility, economic growth, government regulation, taxation, the environment. We had one on creating opportunities in our society. So on poverty, on education, we had one about civic engagement, free speech, that we, we had some foundational ones on how the Congress works. We've had them on healthcare, on the opioid epidemic. Uh, epidemic. We have, so now during the pandemic, we've been doing move the needle conversations on Zoom, of course, where we um, have covered a number of additional topics, either how to get involved in the election as a poll worker, not in the politics sense, but how to get involved as a community leader in the, uh, in the election process. We've had a, a Move the Needle conference on um, human trafficking and had speakers come and talk. So what we've done is we try to provide those foundational briefs so that as you come together as a circle and you decide how, what you wanna do, many of our circles would meet five times a year. With the pandemic, they may be meeting virtually but the idea is you pick the briefs out of these categories that you're interested in. Hopefully you partic participate on these Zoom calls as well. And then we listen to our members say, I'd really love to hear a brief on immigration. So we will put together a brief. It's really curating the content rather than writing it because there's so much content available out in the world we feel like we're curators of that content to bring to our members. Does your policy circle still meet the original circle? So the original circle in Indiana still meets, still comes together. And, um, and as I said, we have 347 circles now across the country. We have actually circles in Egypt and Tunisia surprisingly, because we uh, met with a group of women from uh, a leadership institute who were in the U.S. and we presented the policy circle to them and they said, oh, we love this. We love to do this at our home. We don't provide content for their uh, countries, but we're glad to uh, have them as policy circles. Do, um, I don't know how to phrase this question, do you, do you feel that it's effective? Um, and you said there's a lot of success stories. Is it effective and successful in the measures for which you set out to achieve? You know, I think that first we wanted to make the invitation, get women involved and get them comfortable in the conversation. And then we have a, a customer relationship management system that we keep track of all the circles with and they often report to us, we really encourage them to report to us what they do, you know, what action they take. And ultimately the goal is, let's see the results of those actions in the community. But because we don't wanna dictate what those actions might be, you know, we, we don't follow kind of a, a system that would suggest that Rather, we rely on the circles reporting back to us what is happening. I think, you know, ultimately the goal is that we won't need the policy circle someday. That will really, women will be so 
well represented in the public policy dialogue that an effort to encourage them to get involved isn't even required. But I don't think we're there. I love and it on may your be a while um, before we feel like yeah. Okay, no, I was gonna say I watched so on your website, um, and I'll let you say it. It's policycircle.org or com or policycircle.org. Okay. So you have some testimonial videos. There's some videos there of explaining it. Um, and I love some of the women said it's it's not the, the circle itself is really important, but what I heard her also say is it's the confidence that it's given her to have conversations in other circles outside of the policy circle. So in her workplace, in her neighborhood, in her you know, social networks. And I think if I listen to what you said, that confidence growing is what will ultimately create the success so that women feel that they can speak up and then be represented probably more, um, I guess, with, with greater quantity at tables where policy is being discussed. I, that's exactly right. And you, you took their voices. We had a woman who, you know, said, I, I was kind of afraid of getting involved or getting engaged. And now she has gone through the policy circle. She continues to stay involved there. And she's gotten involved in other leadership organizations. And it's just been so fun to see people really gain that level of confidence, gain the ed education from uh, being in as part of the process and then going to the next place and getting more involved and uh, seeing their action and their leadership in action is really great. How did, um, how did you find your confidence? And in your background, how often were you the single, single woman, single female at a conversation? And how did you grow through that? Um, and how have those lessons learned really informed what the policy circle represents? You know, I, um, I, I used to always say, and it's supposed to be a joke that I had more confidence than I deserved. And, um, and so I've always felt that I, I was feeling great about what I was involved in and kind of when I became a CEO, I thought, well, gosh, if I'm a CEO, there should be hundreds of women who are right on the verge of becoming a CEO. But I have to tell you, when I became a CEO in 20, uh, 2007, at that time, I was the only woman CEO in the Fortune 50. And it's gotten better. There were 13 women who were CEOs in the Fortune 500. And I'm glad to say that Anthem has a woman CEO, the second, Gail Boudreau. Um, and when you look at the, the Fortune 500, so that was 2007, we're in 2020, and the Fortune 500 has 39 women as CEOs. Only three are women of color. So we're looking at less than 8% of the CEOs in the Fortune 500 are women. So, you know, I think we, we that that is a reminder that we're not there, that we need to continue these initiatives, starting with Girl Scouts and the policy circle to give women, you know, more confidence by this practice. You know, there was a book written by Caddy Kay and um, Claire Shipman. It was called The Confidence Code. We, were, we actually read it when we were in the process of kind of trying to find the policy circle. 
and it says that one thing that women do like that there'll be men and women at the same uh iq level that will they'll test them for their confidence and, and the women don't test as positive as the men even though on an you know iq basis or an intellectual basis they're equal women didn't necessarily reflect the same confidence so what women often do and the policy circle fits this as well is they prepare women get confidence by being prepared and so we see that in the policy circle by getting prepared for the public policy conversation do you think it's getting better I do, I do, I have to say, I was with a dear friend of mine and we were on a walk and she said, you know, all these women leadership conferences now say, be your authentic self. It's all about being authentic and authenticity. And we laughed and she said, when I was starting out as a woman in business, it was never about being your authentic Self. It was about dressing in a blue suit with a little red bow tie because you wanted to be like a man and you wanted to fit in and you wanted not to ruffle feathers. So the progress from then to now, I think is great. I think we still have more work to do. Which makes, I, I just, I feel like we have to bring Robert into the conversation because I want to ask him. You know, um, he's been a male all his life, um, as far as we know, and you've been around a lot of tables and a lot of policy conversations. How do you feel, Robert, about what you're listening to, what you're hearing Angela describe? Um, do you see it? Do you feel it being, and I, I definitely feel like that you are a female ally, but tell us from your perspective. As I mentioned, when the podcast started, my mother was in the Marine Corps. She was the first female uh, Marine recruit out of Indianapolis after World War II. And uh, it was a, a singularly uh, impressive uh, childhood. Uh, when your mother was in the Marine Corps, uh, she never told you anything twice. Well, she told you twice, but the second time you couldn't hear it because you were being whacked so hard. <laughs> upside the head. Both my parents were in the Marine Corps and that I'm very fortunate for that. Uh, the one thing I would say is, you know, I, I don't necessarily embrace my caveman tendencies. Uh, I do make fun of them and I freely confess them usually so I can be shamed and that's okay. And having a teenage daughter is certainly uh, one of the things that we laugh about in the sense that you're always learning new things. But I would confess that a lot of the discussion about female leaders and, and female power and that sort of thing isn't necessarily foreign to me. I would argue it's not necessarily been my experience, not only because I've worked for amazing, amazing who I get, I'm fiercely loyal to uh, amazing female leaders. I'll give you some examples. Doris Ann Sadler, foreign, former Marion County clerk. She's brilliant and wonderful and, and gave me some terrific opportunities. Uh, Jennifer Hollowell, who is a Republican consultant and uh, probably changed my life by giving me a job at the Indiana Republican Party that I had no business having, zero business having. Ann Lathrop, who was the head of the Capital Improvement Board. Uh, the list, Danielle Shockey, who's been incredibly kind and, 
and does a tough job with a with a great smile and a sense of humor and a whole lot of tenacity. And so you, whatever the, the combination is of people who I worked for or people who I worked with, when I am told about this, and it's a familiar theme, which I'm not pushing back on, about women in power and a place at the table, my own personal experience is working for and with women who not only have a place at the table, you end up getting up at the table going, well, why the hell didn't she talk first with her great idea, saved us an hour of our time, and we could have just done what Jennifer Hollowell wanted to do at three o'clock, and now it's 4.15, and we still don't know what we want to do because she spoke last, and now we're like, oh, that's great. That's my experience, and I would hope that it's the experience of, of most of the men I know. I don't know very many strong men, accomplished men, who can't point to a woman at his side going, this person made it happen. And I saw one yesterday, and that's the absolutely wonderful and amazing Jackie Morris. Hmm. Yep. So I didn't mean to, I think I answered your question. I hope that I did. Uh, one of the great things about working in politics is that there are so many women involved in politics. So whether it's Republican or Democrat, or because Spangle's listening, Libertarian, we want to make sure that we include everyone. There are just so many terrific people. We had, Danielle, we had uh, Susan Brooks on the podcast. How great is she? She's a wonderful, wonderful public servant. Oh, Robert, I'm so glad you brought up politics and women in politics, because, you know, that's a good question about are women fairly represented in politics? And the policy circle is not about politics. We don't, we're a five. We don't get involved in political campaigns, but it is an inspiring thing. If you think about the first woman to serve in Congress, that was Jeanette Rankin, Rankin. and she was elected in 1916. It was actually before women nationally won the right to vote with the ratification of the 19th Amendment. And we've just celebrated the 100th anniversary of suffrage in the United States. So it's fun to look back and, and kind of talk about that history. The first woman senator, Rebecca Felton, was elected in 1922. So the question is, what about today? In 2020, 127 women hold seats in the U.S. Congress, or 27% of 535 members. So, uh, you know, statewide legislative positions, it's about 28.9% and there's nine women governors. So what Jeanette Rankin used to say is, we're half of the people, we should be half of the Congress. <laughs> <laughs> of course, why anyone would want to serve on Congress now, but maybe that's another podcast. That is, that is. You know, the other, the other person I love to, a quote from is Susan B. Anthony. We all know Susan B. Anthony was one of the earliest and most famous suffragists. And she had this quote because she was not alive when the 19th Amendment was passed. And she knew that she wasn't going to live long enough to see the passage. So she said and was quoted during the fight, Oh, if I could but live another century to see the fruition of all the work for women, there is so much yet to be done. We shall someday be heeded, and when we shall have our amendment to the Constitution of the United States, everybody will think it was always so. 
just exactly as many young people believe that all the privileges, all the freedoms, all the enjoyments which women now possess always were here. They have no idea how every single inch of ground that, that she stands upon today has been gained by the hard work of some little handful of women of the past. So we think of ourselves in policy circles, we're just a little handful of women that someday will be women from the past. And the hope is that we'll continue to see great progress for women leaders. You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, a local veteran public relations enterprise and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Garmond Construction, the Crown Plaza Hotel, Grand Hall, and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the law firm of Bose, McKinney, and Evans, and the Bose Public Affairs Group, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. Our guest on the Leaders and Legends podcast today is Angela Brawley, and our co-host is CEO Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Danielle Shockey. Angelo, is there a common theme you mentioned earlier in the podcast about different states, different countries, different continents? Are there two or three things that all women around the world in the realm of the discussion you're leading that they mention almost every time? You know what? First, and I think it goes back to the idea of Girl Scouts and being part of a troop. I think women really enjoy the opportunity to be with other women, the comfort of being with other women and the ability to speak freely with other women. There was a great story. I said, you know, we had three international circles that came because we met with women from Egypt and Tunisia and Afghanistan. And we met two women from Afghanistan who were in different parts of the country, one more kind of free or liberal than the other. And they said, we would have never met each other, but for this leadership program, but we're going to be best friends forever because we have the same birthday. So I think just the fact that women enjoy the opportunity to be, get, be together and feel confident in having those conversations are really critical, but their lives are very different than our lives. And the ability to talk about the freedoms that women have was really an important conversation. You mentioned several of, of the female leaders with whom I've worked over the, my career. Uh, please talk about some of the, give us maybe two or three with whom you've worked where you've walked away and said, uh, that, that, that person is someone I need to meet. I need to meet with her again. She needs to be in my circle. I don't know that I've ever walked away from a meeting. It's the first time I'd ever met her. And I got in the car with Greg Ballard and I went, oh my God, I want her to throw my party. And that person was Allison Melangdon. Well, I agree with you. Unfortunately, Allison is a good friend of mine, but I, I'll tell you another really good friend of mine who I've been so blessed and fortunate to have spent several walks over the last three or four, three or four months. And that was Tamara Zahn, who just, just passed away. And I just consider myself so lucky that I 
got to spend time with her over the last couple of months. And she was so inspiring as a leader and she didn't stop, even though she retired from the Indiana downtown focus work she had. She was a mentor to several women. She uh, was on several boards, the Cultural Trail, the Marquette uh, Senior Living Community. And so I would say, I'm inspired by her and her memories. She passed away just a week or so ago, and but she will be my reminder to be a good um, spark of joy and vision and mentorship to other women. Let me throw another couple of names out there because they've both been on the podcast. Uh, actually, three of them. I did one solo and another two with Danielle, Kathy Davis, Sue Elsperman, and Suzanne Crouch, three women who have served as lieutenant governor. Of course, we'd love to have Becky Skillman on. Becky, if you're listening. But tell me about interacting with, with these women who, are, who, are, who at one point were a heartbeat away from the governor's office. Well, and my hope is that we're going to celebrate in the days ahead, uh, you know, uh, a woman who's the governor of the state of Indiana. I think that those women reflect exceptional leadership, both, it turns out, in uh, the public context, as well as in academia. You know, I, as I see Sue uh, in her role at Ivy Tech and her leadership there, it's been instrumental. Suzanne Crouch is great, and I enjoy uh, her energy and the, the focus that she brings to the efforts in the state, including around economic development and a variety of things. So I think Indiana has been really blessed to have women in state executive leadership roles, and we have many. And I think those are real role models, too, to young women to see that that is a possibility. You bring up Susan Brooks and her successor will be female. And so it's exciting for those elections to happen and women to be able to look up and say that's a possibility for them in their life and career. Another one I want to mention too, because she's on the city county council, but, but that's, that is her, that is her floor, not her ceiling for sure. And that is Maggie Lewis. Well, I'd love to know Maggie Lewis. And there are so many other women in Indiana who, um, who are involved. And they're very, they're very um, connected with each other and very supportive of each other as well. You have been described. I read about you in several articles. And the word that, that kept coming up, during that in the parts of your bio that focused on your years at well point was powerful 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 did you feel powerful and were you just as powerful at home as you no, were? you know that's exactly the the truth is is you know you get this most powerful women designation or whatever then you come home and i had teenagers at home who were like i'm supposed to do what mom so i think uh i should have had been more like a marine uh, in, in my parenting skills to, uh, to, get, to get that. So, you know, it's funny, you're never, uh, you're never uh, as aware of your lack of power than as a parent. 
I, I, I have a 17 year old daughter. Yes. I can put, I can, Danielle, would you like to chime in on the uh, parenting aspect of being powerless? No, I have a 17 year old daughter as well. I think, um, Oh my goodness gracious. They are humbling, right? I mean, yeah, whatever role you're playing in the professional world, you come home and around here, it, it doesn't really matter. Um, so. Well, I have a great story. I, when I became CEO, I was asked to go to speak at an event for women in Kentucky where Anthem Blue Cross Blue Shield is the Blue Cross plan there. And I was nervous. It was right at the beginning of my tenure as CEO and I hadn't given a lot of speeches and I was practicing at home and my kids were teens as I said at the time they were 11 14 and 16 and I told them I'm so nervous you know I'm going to give this speech and there's going to be like thousands of women there what am I going to say and my son who was 14 said mom just go tell those women to rise up and fight the man (laughs) <laughs> and then my son, my older son, who was much wiser, he was 16. He said, Matt, she can't do that because now she is the man. So, <laughs> tells you that, that, you know, even with a mom who was, uh, you know, supposedly powerful, the world still kind of created for many, including them, an expectation that the boss would be a man. And that wasn't always and isn't always the case. Few years ago, I was lucky enough to be profiled in the, in the Indianapolis Star around Memorial Day. They had a five question segment, and as part of the five questions prep, they ask uh, the subject of the profile to send his or her favorite quote. And my favorite quote, which uh, gives you a little bit of insight into my background and and somewhat troubling mindset sometimes, is from Eleanor Roosevelt, and the quote is. Nobody can make you feel inferior without your consent. Did anyone ever try to make you feel inferior or did you ever walk into a room of powerful men or powerful people and feel for just a moment, what am I doing here? How are they going to treat me? You know, the answer, the answer to that and every woman that I know of my age and career kind of orientation has been in a room where they have, there has been an attempt to make them feel uh, inferior or uncomfortable or where their power was, um, someone attempted to take that away. So I don't want to say that doesn't happen. Uh, It does. And unfortunately, I think it still does. But I do remember one time I went to a a meeting of CEOs and uh, one of the panelists was sitting next to me for a minute and she said, oh my gosh, you're the only woman in the room that is a CEO. And I, I, it kind of shocked me because I got used to being one of few women and so I didn't really count heads or, or try to figure that out. But um, it, it makes, it inspired me and inspires me now to do more for women so they feel like that's an opportunity that's available. I remember being in the room. I have two more questions, Danielle, then you can take us home till we get to the five questions. 
I have been in a room and had you walk in and the room immediately noticed you. Does that feel powerful? Gosh, it sounds powerful when I hear it. I don't remember necessarily uh, feeling that way. I do know, you know, there are positions of leadership that carry with them uh, unique attributes. And I think you got to be careful that you use that well, right? Because in the end and post, you know, having those positions, you are who you are and you hope that you've lived your life honorably and respected those people no matter what uh, situation you were in or or what the different, you know, hierarchical relationship was. I know that when I was a CEO at Anthem, one of the things that was just a delight for me was to go to meet with the nurses. The nurses were like the heart of the company. They would take care of the members. They would make sure that a member got, you know, helicoptered out of a terrible accident to the right hospital or got the right care around a transplant. And I went one Friday afternoon and I was getting ready to go on vacation to a beach and they gave me a beach bag and books to read on the beach. And you just need to remember really where when you think about power or sometimes you get these positions and you get that all the trappings that come with it, but sometimes the real power is in the relationship and the friendship, how you work with others, how you um, are treated by others as well. Is it important or more important for a female CEO or female leader? And Angela, I would like to, for you to answer this question. And then I would like, please, for Danielle to answer this question. And then Danielle, if you have a few more questions, that would be wonderful. As anyone who listens to the Leaders and Legends podcast knows, I'm a bit of a history nut, and I read a lot about leadership and how important leadership is. I think it's incredibly underrated as an element of overall success. A single leader, Eisenhower, D-Day, Martin Luther King, Ronald Reagan in the Cold War, Margaret Thatcher, the list goes on and on. How important is it for a female CEO, a woman who has worked and thrived in the circles in which you have done to have a command presence, to walk into something, a situation, a room, an argument, and have a presence that commands respect and makes people understand you are in charge? You know, I think that that question more aptly would be how, whether you're a man or a woman, do you walk into the room and command respect and why? You know, why and how do you do it? You know, is it that you're confident, that you're passionate, that you're, you know, feel very purposeful in what you're doing and that passion or purpose comes through in your presence and in your conversation or how you lead a topic. I think that's important for men and for women. And I think that 
women, I think the perception that women have to, I think they have to be themselves. You know, that's really critical because if you're not, people know it. Yeah, my answer was similar in the in that genuine space that um, you can go in and pretend to have confidence, and I think it it becomes really clear that it's that it's faux. And so I think being genuine, as well as being passionate about whatever it is you're walking into, as well as well well read, well researched um, on the topic, I think I think that. If, like I'm thinking about Girl Scouts and I'm thinking if a little girl was asking me for advice, um, those are some of the things I think about. Be yourself, be real, pick what it is you're going to spend your energies around because you believe in it. And then I think if you have those things, it's hard for the room, if you will, Robert, in your scenario, it's hard for the room not to notice that. Um, I think back to when I was at the state house for four years um, at the Department of Education in a situation, um, you know, working for the lone Democrat in the elected role, how much I've been asked, you know, what did I learn from that? And I have to say, I felt like I had to be that much um, more prepared than maybe everybody else in the room. And that's, um, while it's, I don't know, I, I actually think it taught me a lot um, about how to, how to stand your ground, how to be genuine, how to, how to communicate with, um, in a place where, you know, maybe I hadn't earned the opportunity to communicate in that space. But anyhow, I'm rambling. I'm going to stop there. Um, so <laughs> I could, get, yes, anyhow. Um, so I have a question a little bit, and like a little different. I, I definitely want to end on a policy circle question, but you mentioned some of the boards you sit on, um, Lowe's, Exxon, Mobil, um, Brookfield Assets, is that right? And then there's a fourth right now, Procter & Gamble. When you're asked to take on these roles, is there, is there some one theme in all four of those, those companies that you're like, yes, I can commit my time and my passions to this? Or is it something else? Like how, I mean, you obviously have choices of how you're going to spend your, your energies. How did you choose those? And um, yeah, tell us about that. So, you know, I think it was important for me. I made a conscious choice not to go on boards that related to healthcare. And I really thought it was important that the company that I represented has a current leader and will always have a current leader. And I feel like that voice, that person is entitled to that voice. And so by staying kind of outside of the circle of healthcare, I felt like that was really important. So the question is what value can I bring to these other companies? And it was important to me to, you know, it is a choice and it is uh, important that I believe in what they do. I'm adding value as a board member, but also I'm delighted and honored to do that role because uh, it's, it's, gives you some great insights, you know, of all companies, you know, how Procter & Gamble understands the consumer is hugely important. You know, how oil and gas, you know, love it, hate it, whatever, it, it, it impacts every bit of our history in terms of how the industry um, related to historical events. So I just feel so fortunate to be on each of those and and contribute what I can uh, 
to corporate governance. You know, people sometimes don't know what a corporate board does. We're elected annually by the shareholders and we oversee strategy, we oversee risk, we oversee succession planning, um, and those are important jobs to do. So I want to go back to the policy circle. Like I said, um, something we say in Girl Scouts, um, particularly in the last couple of years as our um, companion organization has decided to become dual gender. And so I've, I've been asked if I had a nickel for every time I've been asked, you know, why girls only? Um, and I can't, I can't explain enough, especially when it's a person, a male asking. And I think you described it well in the policy circle. Women having um, a voice with other women, it's different. Girls having space to take risks and to talk with other girls is different. Um, having been a principal and a teacher, I've seen it. Girls start raising their hand less. They start engaging in problem solving less. They step back from the group project and let the boys take over. So I am unapologetically proud to be an organization that will remain female only. So in the policy circle, I want you to talk about two things. One, what type of women? So if there's listeners who are like, this is, this is something I want to be a part of. And it, as I understand it, it's for all women. It's, it, there's no one type. Um, so just describe that. And then if they want to get started, what would that look like? And then I also wanted to ask, is there a similar, is there a similar, similar organization that males engage in? Or does the policy circle engage with men in the, any policy circles? And if not, why not? Um, so I, I just threw a lot at you, but I wanted to let you talk about the policy circle as, you, as we wrap up. Well, let me talk about the mechanics a little bit because you can go to www.thepolicycircle.org and click start a circle. And it's that easy. One, we always encourage women, don't do it by yourself. Get two other women, get on the website, say, is this something you wanna do? Then if each of you invite one person and then each of that group invite another, you have a policy circle. So mechanically, everything you need is right there. You can create your own circle page. All the briefs are online. It's all there. It's really a turnkey potential logistical uh, operation. And we have people that can help you and train you in terms of how to do this respectfully facilitated conversation. So the idea is everybody speaks up and no one dominates the conversation, which is a bit of a trick because there are people that you've been around at a party who didn't say a word. And the idea is that person knows they're gonna get called on. So she's gonna engage in the conversation. So you had a lot there. Let me try to sort through it. One is I feel so fortunate to have been in these single sex organizations, you know, in the Girl Scouts and sorority and those have been beneficial in my life. I enjoy those relationships and the environment that it creates, which does, I think, give women confidence to speak up and practice their voices. And so I, I hope for women in the future that they have that opportunity. When we created the policy circle, we said it serves women. It's designed to serve women, but there is an important role for men to play. One, I say, go on our website, go see the briefs, go, you know, explore the assets that are there. Men are, we also call men in, in that context to connectors, because every man who 
listens to the story of the policy circle says, you know, I know someone who would be perfect for the policy circle. She's just waiting to get involved in something like the policy circle. She could make a, a huge difference in the community and she, you know, needs a little education or wants a little, you know, the next step. So we call men who, who connect us to women uh, connectors. We also get connected to sometimes the content sometimes other organizations that we can collaborate with. So we think there's lots of ways in which men can be connectors for the policy circle, be advocates and allies for the policy circle. And we encourage men to learn more about it and get more involved. We had a great story in St. Louis of a man who got women in his office involved and they started a policy circle and we, he came to our annual summit. We have an annual summit every year and we recognize that whole circle of people that had worked together and really started to make a lot of difference in their community. So the logistics are easy. Go to thepolicycircle.org. Any kind of person could get involved and, and may find that they are uh, attracted to the ideas of having a policy circle, you know, several women said, you know, we got together and we did book clubs or whatever, but I didn't feel like there was purpose and action. And with the policy circle, I really feel like there is. So it's really people who may not even know that they're gonna go, you know, take on a leadership role in the community, but by being a part of a policy circle, really get that encouragement. Excellent. Robert, I want to ask, do you have any questions about the policy circle? Since I don't know if you've had heard about it much before, does it make sense to you? I had not heard about it uh, before, uh, but any organization that includes Kathy Hubbard is first class, really smart, and probably uh, pulls no punches. That's right. That's right. <laughs> We've reached the point of the podcast where we ask the same five questions of every guest. Angela, are you ready? I think so. First question is, what was your first job? My, well, it, you know, I always think babysitting was counted as my first job, but then my real first job out of, you know, out of the comfort of being in someone's home or in my home was as a waitress. And I really, I really worry that my children weren't always, didn't get to be waiters and waitresses. You know, that is important because it taught me about service. Every job, no matter what it is, if you're making a product or performing a service, you are providing service and understanding that, understanding what it is to be that person who provides a service is, is critical. Customer service. Amen. Number two, what was your first concert? My first concert was the Commodores in the eighth grade. And I have to tell the story. At one point I was in an event and my friend said to me, have you met my friend Lionel Richie? And I said, Lionel Richie, oh my gosh, that was my first concert, the Commodores in the eighth grade. And he was so graceful. He said, you, me, the eighth grade. <laughs> <laughs> The Commodores, that's a, that's a first, I think, Spangle. I don't think we've heard the Commodores yet. Um, we've had a lot of great answers. 
I am somewhat uh, biased, but my favorite uh, first concert answer is still Greg Ballard's, who saw Sly and the Family Stone. So <laughs> imagine Greg Ballard getting jiggy with it in Bloomington to Sly and the Family Stone. Question number three, if you could suggest any book for someone to read, which book would you choose? Well, let me look around. I think this one right now, I will uh, get out of my stack of books. This is a new important book that for Indiana is really important. It's called We Must Be Fearless, The Women's Suffrage Movement in Indiana by Anita Morgan. And as we were celebrating the 100th anniversary of suffrage in Indiana, uh, her book was released, and I encourage all of us to go get it. Say the title again, please. We Must Be Fearless, The Women, The Woman Suffrage Movement in Indiana by Anita Morgan. Okay. It's, a, it's published by the Indiana Historical Society Press. Well, we love to promote authors on the Leaders and Legends podcast. Danielle, make a note. Maybe we can talk with her. Actually, um, Dr. Anita Morgan just did a program for Girl Scouts, and I'm proud to say we had 78 Girl Scouts older um, join her in the virtual experience, and they all earned their badge, which is a Girl Scout encouraged me to vote, and so they learned about the suffrage movement, and I've heard Dr. Morgan speak myself, and you learn more in one hour um, listening to her than, than I had in any history class I've ever been in. So um, absolutely, Robert, we can definitely work that out. Angela, number four, if you could witness any event in history, be there as it happens, which event would you choose? Be there as it happens. You know, this is one of those uh, almost trick questions, like who would you have for dinner? You know, I'm a person of faith, so I would have lived in the time of Jesus Christ, and that would have been super cool. Sometimes people say that's disqualifying. So because that's a go-to answer, maybe I would have been there in maybe in Tennessee when they were passing, they were the final state to pass the 19th Amendment. And that would have been an exciting time to see. There are no wrong answers, by the way. So we'll, we'll, we'll take both. Uh, last question, which you just uh, prefaced. If you could have dinner with anyone living today, two hours off the record, whom would you choose? You know, I think that's a, also a fascinating question. And sometimes I think the person, it's not about the person in the place that they're in. It's that if you could have two hours with someone, uh, you know, and, and I probably could if I ask, you know, two hours with Sally Rowland, two hours with Sarah Evans Barker, two hours, my two hours with Tamrazon, you know, those have been huge blessings in my life. And it's not that I wanted to talk about some, some event. It's that I value those relationships. Well, we were lucky enough, Danielle and I, to spend an hour with Judge Sarah Evans Barker as she came on the podcast and an hour with the wonderful, who I did not know, Sally Rowland. And they were both terrific, terrific guests. We're very grateful for your time today, Angela. Angela Brawley is co-founder of The Policy Circle. 
You can learn more at thepolicycircle.org. Our co-host today is CEO Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Danielle Shockey. Danielle, thank you very much for your time. I know you are particularly busy and it's always wonderful to have you on the podcast. Proud to be, proud to be here. And Angela, thank you so much. I've enjoyed thank the conversation you. and I know our listeners will too. Thank you all. Thanks you, for including me. You have been listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, a local veteran public relations enterprise and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Garmond Construction, Crown Plaza Hotel, Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the law firm of Bose, McKinney, and Evans, and the Bose Public Affairs Group, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast. Thank you very much for listening to Leaders and Legends, brought to you by Veteran Strategies Incorporated. If you want to contact us about this program or our menu of public relations services, please send us an email at robert at veteranstrategies.com. That's robert at veteranstrategies.com. Mm-hmm.